0: I'm thinking, like, homebreaker? I'm not with anybody. Whose home have I broken? And what did I break? Then she said, bloody lesbian. And then by then, the you know, the, uh, the shop owner came, he helped us out. I was The children were crying, there was chaos. I felt so ashamed of myself. I just took the kids, got into our, our car, strapped them in, went home, and did not leave the house for days.
1: On this episode, I'm talking with Raga De Silva, a global LGBTQ activist and speaker a published author, and an award-winning entrepreneur. During our interview, I was really struck by Raga's courage. Being true to yourself and coming out is tough at any age. But coming out in your 50s, when you're married, have two kids, and come from a really traditional Indian family, that's incredibly hard. Raga's positivity radiates through her words and her work. It was a joy to interview someone with such a joy for life. I'm Sangeeta Pillai and this is The Masala Podcast, a Spotify original where we talk about all those things that we're not supposed to talk about as South Asian women. Sex, sexuality, periods, menopause, mental health, nipple hair, shame, and many more taboos. Join me around my virtual kitchen table as I talk with some incredible women from around the world, exploring what it means to be a South Asian feminist today. Raga, welcome to Masala Podcast. Thank you so much, Singhita, and what a pleasure. It's wonderful to have you. We're, We're sort of sitting across our respective kitchen tables Seeing each other on Zoom and having a conversation and recording it. So let's start with Raga. Tell me what makes a married, middle aged, successful woman with two kids come out as queer at at 50? Yeah, I think that's pretty dramatic. You have to
0: be uh, a bit dramatic and you have to be a certain kind of uh, crazy person, I think, to finally decide that. Society, what they say, the conditioning, uh, the boundaries, the limitations set by other people, it does not matter anymore. What matters is your truth. And uh, at some point in your life, you know, those nightmares have to turn into dreams and the dreams have to turn into reality. So in my case, everything was like a hodgepodge. So, I, so I, all I could see is trauma and nightmares and difficulties and tribulations and all because somebody else had decided and set them for me. So one day I decided that was enough. I'm not going to live that life anymore. I'm going to live my truth. And I said, let me be the crazy woman that I am and show the world that I am that person who you think I am, or maybe not.
1: Wonderful. Kippy. I want to talk about your early life a little bit. You grew up in Mumbai.
0: Yes, I did. I I grew up, uh, let me just give you a little bit of context. So I grew up in a very humble family. My father and my mother eloped and they got married. So they got married against my, uh, f- uh, the parents' wishes, obviously. And so I think that a bit of rebelliousness comes from that as well. But my father fell into bad habits and he uh, passed away when I was six years old of, of alcoholism, and which was a very sad thing for our family. My mother was left with three of us and we came to, uh, you know, we came from a place where We wanted education. She wanted us to be educated, but we didn't have the means to have that. But somehow she managed to, uh, you know, get us really well educated. And that, I think, has been the saving, uh, you know, grace for all of us. So that's the background I come from. I grew up in Mumbai. I I grew up in a really, really small uh, uh, suburb of Mumbai called Bandra. But within Bandra, there was a notorious area called Kherwadi. And I know, never talk about it. It's the first time I'm talking about it. It's the it's a place where you never told anyone that you came from Kherbadi. That was a place where the gangsters hid those days. So it was terrible. So to be even growing up in that place means you actually lived in fear all the time. Because you didn't know whether there was a rapist around you. You didn't know whether there was a gangster around you. You didn't know whether when somebody followed you, whether you'd actually reach home. That was the surrounding I grew up in. I went to a convent school, which nobody had heard about. Some of our uh, English was learned in Hindi as well. So, so that's the background. And then I went to college and then I got uh, a scholarship and I studied further. And then rest is history. I came back, into, uh, came back to Mumbai and uh, my mother wanted me to be a secretary because that was what lovely Catholic girls did. And I, even, I, I can type at a speed because I went for typing classes. I can do shorthand even at 50. So I got into advertising and those days, as you would know, that advertising in India was only for the glamorous or it was for people from South Bombay, the Sobos, right? I was a misfit. I didn't fit in, but I didn't give an F. I just went in. I became this person I wanted to be.
1: Like Raga, in my Mumbai days, I used to work in an advertising agency. As a copywriter, I lived in the poorer suburbs, in a place called Kandivali. I remember one of my first advertising agency meetings. Someone asked where I lived. I said, Kandivali. You could almost hear the discomfort from the rest of the room. You see, girls from Kandivali didn't become copywriters. That was reserved for people from South Mumbai, or South Bombay, as it was called then. There was an invisible social divide between the north and the south of my city. People who grew up in South Bombay went to nice schools, danced and mingled with each other in exclusive gymkhana's, played sport in large open spaces and watched English language films in art deco cinemas. While people from North Bombay like me woke up at the crack of dawn Endured three hour commutes in sweaty local trains. Got back from work in time to eat dinner and sleep and do it all over again the next day. I had some great friends who lived in South Bombay and I met them often. But from where I stood back then, their lives looked like a dream. An impossible dream that I snapped out of as soon as I got back on that humid, smelly train taking me back home. So how did you go from there to kind of marriage and kids? Talk us through that.
0: Yeah, so, so just coming back to that early life, at some point I went uh, on a... I did many different things apart from advertising. So I went through a phase when I wanted to be a filmmaker. So I got into this whole uh, uh, filmmakers group and we went to shoot a TV series, 52 episodes, which is a long time, which is nearly a year, in a place called Bikaner in Rajasthan. I met a I met a woman there and uh, the main actor of the uh, series and we fell for each other. And I must say I had the most beautiful romantic uh, relationship I've ever had at that time. And it was something that uh, I loved. I think we fell in love, we really loved each other. But at that time, none of us knew, both of us had no idea that there was an option that if we chose to live a life together, that that could be a choice available to us. So we knew that we were going to be together for a short time. And when the time came for us to part, we parted our ways. And so I went back to Mumbai and at some point she followed me, she wanted to get into the film industry. It was a very short lived, let's say relationship. At that time, I was uh, very good friends with uh, this guy who uh, I later married because there was too much pressure on me from the family to marry a nice Mangalorean boy because I'm from Bangalore. And I refused to get married to a nice Mangalorean boy who lives in the U.S. and uh, is an engineer. And uh, I just didn't want that life. I just couldn't see myself. So I married this guy who was fun-loving. And we just, we didn't know what marriage was. We just went dancing every night. We thought that was what marriage was. (laughs) We went uh, pubbing every night. We thought hanging out with, with friends would be the best way to be, like, married, and and yeah, so that was how I married. So I was in a, uh, got into a relationship with a woman and then I married my best friend. And we thought that was how life is until one day it wasn't.
1: Wow, that's such a beautiful story. So with um, the woman that you had the relationship with, Do you remember her? Would you remember her name? Do you remember what that was like?
0: Oh, I remember every bit of her, of course. I mean, you know, they say that you never forget your first love. And I've always lived through life uh, thinking that is what love is. So, you know, it was something that became my measurement for life. So, whether it was about a job, whether it was about finding a new friend or about a relationship, I always measured that kind of feeling, saying, if it made me feel like that, then it is real. And life
1: never measured up to that, to be honest. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow, that's beautiful and sad at the same time. Yeah,
0: right? I, think, I think a lot of beautiful love stories are uh, incomplete, isn't it? They live in your heart.
1: That's so true, so true. Were you aware before then, Raga, of uh, being attracted to women? Were you aware of that when you were a teenager or at any other point think, in your life? I, I think
0: looking back, you know, you can always, uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? You always reflect and think. I, I, I think I've always been attracted to women. Whether it, it was my school teachers, for instance. You know, you have crushes. So you're uh, When you're straight, you have crush on a male teacher and you're not, you know, on the same gender. So I've had crushes all my life. I've I had crushes on my best friend at that time as well. But I never considered that as an option. That's what I keep, I didn't know what I didn't know, you know?
1: And you wouldn't, like now thinking back to when I was in school, it was never even on the planet. Forget about let alone being on the horizon as an option, right? You Life was very much a trajectory of like, you grow up, you find, make, find a husband, you have children, and that's your life. Like nothing else was ever Absolute an option, right? And
0: remember those days we didn't uh, live with Mrs. Google, right? So everything came from whatever... Your ecosystem was your frame of reference for your family, was your family, was your school, were your friends, and we didn't have internet and access to information saying, okay, this was uh, this existed as well. I mean, for exactly like you said, we were socially conditioned to believe after a certain age, you marry and you have children and you live happily or unhappily ever after.
1: So here you are, you're married, and I think you moved to New Zealand, is that right? right? And then you had to beautiful children and kind of what was that so like? So I married
0: in India in 95 and we have, we had twins, a son and a daughter in 98. So I was still in India. I was heading a large uh, division at Lintas, which was an agency that was number one those days. And then eventually I f- we realized that because of the job, we were not, I was not able to spend time with the family and the job was important to me because I wanted uh, to work and my family was fine with that. And so we decided to have a better quality of life. And as a family uh, unit to at least stay together, we moved to uh, New Zealand. And look at the irony of, all, of it all, right? We moved to New Zealand and within two years, we basically separated.
1: Do you remember like an, a moment uh, or an aha moment between kind of leaving your marriage and then finding who you really were? Do you remember anything like that? You know, when you're married, Sankita,
0: life becomes so much about the marriage. You know, I think it's for all married couple, you know, especially if you have children and then you put the mix of being in a foreign country. So there are so many things going on. Survival becomes very critical. So to be honest, when I was married, my entire focus was on the relationship, on the children, on the jobs that I was doing trying to settle in a new country. So I never thought about romance or what I really wanted. It was always about what my my family's needs were priority, always. It was only when the marriage broke down and I had a little time to consider, you know, because I would be asked out by men and I would think that this isn't right with me because, and there were some really cool guys in New Zealand that I thought, oh, wow, you know, I, I would be like, it would be even an honor to even hang out with these guys. But it didn't sit right with me. So there was no aha moment. But there was there were series of conversations with myself where I said, maybe, maybe this is a part of me that needs to come out now. And I wasn't even thinking of coming out. It was just thinking maybe I should explore it. And, you know, I had, uh, you know, in New Zealand, it's quite liberal, right? People were are open to homosexuality. And so there were women around who were leading that life. And I used to always think with envy, say, how lovely to be so free. I wish I had that life, but I never even thought about it. Even then, a thought that, sorry, I mean, I said that thought would cross my mind, but I never thought about crossing that line.
1: There's a huge difference. There's a massive difference. And even allowing yourself the possibility thats something else, which is so out of the kind of upbringing that, you know, we've, both. I think we come from similar families where even considering a possibility seems quite extreme, doesn't it? Let alone going down that path. So I completely understand. And I think this is why I find your story so inspiring. Because coming from where you come from, and then making these massive life choices requires so much courage. Um, that, you know, it's it's I think impossible for a lot of people to understand, but I get it. And I, that's why I think I really, really wanted to speak to you. Fantastic. Sangeeta, may I add
0: here that, you know, a lot of us grow up, you know, I mean, women especially, we grow up with a lot of guilt, right? We have been told that if you want something for you, then you have to feel guilty. So that, that guilt is a package that we kind of live with. So for me to, consider anything that would make me happy even if it was an extra chocolate topping on my food which should ideally be left over for the children as a mother you know it was difficult so then to say no I'm going to live my life the way I want to live even that thought was was scary for my family not for me as much I was afraid and felt guilty that what would my family think of me? How selfish is that?
1: And how did your mother find out?
0: (laughs) She found a letter that I would written to my friend. She uh, put two and two together and there was a huge drama and a huge conflict. And there was, uh, I was still at that time still with my uh, uh, ex-husband and we were in the process of separating, but she couldn't understand what was going on. And so there was a lot of uh, conflict is the word I would use. Uh, In fact, one night, as I have uh, spoken about it in my book called Untold Lies, my first book, she stood with a knife over my head and she was so angry with me that she really wanted to kill me. And I understand that. I never held this against my mother because she comes from a social background, which thinks, considers this a sin, Catholic woman. Then you want to, you're saying to your friend that, you know, I wish I could explore the possibility of being with another woman. And that's very difficult. So she felt that I would bring shame, I would bring scandal to the family, and it was better that She finished it all off.
1: What was the reaction of the community around you? Well, that was a, the yeah community. yeah. So
0: that was the the biggest shock to me actually. So because I didn't talk about it, nor, nor do I did I flaunt. I don't even flaunt my relationship now. So there was no PDAs, what they call public display of affection. Those days, there was right? So somehow, but our community is super grapevine is the best. Indian community grapevine, I don't know, special grapevine, right? They, but seriously, they got to know this is a New Zealand where the community is very, very small. But for some reason, they found it very difficult. Now I'm generalizing. I had friends there, Kiwi Indians, who were very good to me. But there were strangers who found it difficult. And I'll give you an incident, which I talk about quite a bit. I was at a grocery store. My children were about five, six years old. And uh, Ash wanted, my son Ash wanted to have something to eat. So we dropped in at the groceries. Uh, it's a little kid, uh, local, what they call dairies in New Zealand. So they're side stores, like what we have news, what are they call news?
1: Uh, news yeah, agents, New right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah.
0: In, in the UK. And so we went in there, picked up something, and suddenly, you know, there were this were in the aisles where you have groceries, I'm standing there with the two little babies. And suddenly someone comes from behind me, pushes me, everything falls all on me. And, you know, I fell down. And I was like thinking, it happened so quickly. And then I turned around, I saw this woman, a uh, tiny woman, tinier than me, sari-clad woman, and she then kicked me, and then she spat on me, and then she said, homebreaker. And I'm thinking, like homebreaker, I'm not with anybody. Whose home have I broken? And what did I break? Then she said, "Bloody lesbian." And then, by then, the you know the uh, the shop owner came. He helped us out. I was the children were crying. There was chaos. I felt so ashamed of myself. I just took the kids, got into our, our car, strapped them in, went home, and did not leave the house for days. You know, And that is how it was. That is
1: awful, Raga. That
0: is just yeah, awful. But this is going back 18 years. So this is how it was. Yeah. So I would be afraid to go out. To date, Sangeeta, to be really honest, I always look over my shoulder. And I think, is there someone else who's going to come and push me? Because that's lived with me, that experience. And uh, fortunately, the kids don't remember that. And I'm so grateful. But I have such a strong recollection of that. And that may have been one instance of a person from the community but after that i always felt those kind of you know passive aggression around me people would not invite me you know the same people where the children would have sleepovers they stopped inviting the kids for sleepovers i would not be in their guest list because i was supposed to be the funniest woman in the party normally few drinks and i'm dancing to bollywood helen songs and suddenly i was not that person you know so so it it was quite uh, daunting to say and it was quite isolating it was a very lonely time.
1: Sangeeta. It sounds it and sounds very painful because not only have you made what is a huge life decision, right, to to end the marriage, to explore your sexuality, and kind of the support system that you should have around you is actually traumatizing you. You know, but that that's really really isn't hard. That,
0: but isn't that sadly common, Singita, when people are down?
1: What happens when you don't follow all the rules set in your culture? Perhaps you might not be embraced wholeheartedly among your people. I too have chosen a path that is different. My ways are seen as unusual. I am constantly challenging the norms. There is a price to pay for this and I have paid it. For me, it's a feeling of not quite belonging within my culture. It feels like I fit but don't fit at the same time. So what is the price of belonging in a culture? What makes you feel like a part of your people, of an old heritage, of an ancient civilization? Is rebellion ultimately worthwhile? That is a question each of us must answer for ourselves. I love to talk to you about. So I love love stories, right? It makes my heart go like all gooey and warm. Tell me about you and your partner, Nicola.
0: Oh, that's one of the most beautiful love stories, I think.
1: So Nicola and I met, um,
0: I was on the India-New Zealand Business Council. So I was uh, the first uh, person from Indian origin, or no, first Indian woman to be, or first woman to be elected on the board of the India-New Zealand Business Council. So Nicola used to work at the New Zealand Parliament those days and manage the facilities for them. So all heads of states or all large events and stuff that happened at the Parliament Nicola was responsible. So one day our council had a meeting there and, uh, and we were invited and that's how I met Nicola. And I had no idea she was gay. She had, I'm sure, no idea that I was, you know, like they say in the community that you have a gay dar, like a gay radar, right? I was too new, I still don't have, I still wouldn't know if somebody walked past me, really. So those days it was even worse. But anyway, we exchanged cards and I really for some reason wanted to meet her again. And I was, I was heading to China in a couple of days. So uh, she kind of didn't call me and I said, okay, fine. Then the next time, uh, one day I messaged her, I sent her a text. And then she said, yeah, okay, I can uh, see you for a coffee. So we met for a coffee briefly. And then um, I was going to China, so I couldn't spend too much time. So I said, okay, fine. So, you know, it just kind of never happened. And then one day, out of the blue, when I came back from my trips and it was a Saturday, I said, can we meet? I really wanted to see her. And she said, yeah, so we had breakfast on a Sunday morning. And that breakfast, and after we finished the breakfast, I had to go home to pick up the kids. Ravi was uh, minding the children that day. And then she said, do you want to go for a drive? I said, sure. So we went for a long drive. And then after the drive, she said, would you like to meet me again this evening for dinner? I said, sure. So I called up Ravi and said, hey, can you have the kids for longer? Because I have a date tonight. So we met for dinner. Then then it just never ended. So we have 14 years. And that's how it is, Sangeeta. We haven't stopped having coffees and dinners and our walks and our dates. So every day it's like this. Seriously. You know, people tell us, how do you spend 24 hours together? Because we run a business together as well. Do you not get bored with each other? And I always think that people look at us from their lens. Maybe they get bored with their partners. Because by the time we finish our night, Nicola and I, we literally tell each other, shut up, tomorrow we have something. Let's keep this for tomorrow. Because we have so much to do, so much to talk to each other about, so much to plan. We're constantly doing things, you know.
1: It's absolutely beautiful just hearing you talk and um, kind of seeing you together earlier. It just... You know, it reaffirms my kind of belief in love, I think. And I think um, you said something like this, I think, in one of your interviews, I think, or maybe Nicola did, saying it's not about sexuality. It is, but it is primarily about love. Like, if you feel like that about somebody, that's what you feel.
0: Exactly, exactly. And look at us, you know, uh, I had a package. I didn't come by myself, right? It was not just Raga. Raga with two children and an ex husband who was always going to be in our lives. So that's a huge package to basically accept. So she came, I, like I always tell her, you know, what four for, for the price of one, basically, you know? <laughs> you know? It's like, so you can look at it as a, as a problem or you can look at it as a gift. And I think she uh, is a gift to us. And she took us on like, within seconds, the children just loved her. And uh, Ravi, of course, has been our biggest ally and uh, they get along really well. So we are, we've created a modern family, Uh, from this, that you don't have to have, just because you have history, it doesn't have to be bad.
1: And I think you created your own definition of a family, I think, which I find absolutely beautiful, particularly in our culture, where the definition of family is very strict. It's very limited. It's like, this is what it is. This is how you go. And this is what you do. But I think between you, Ravi and Nicola and the kids, you've kind of redefined it beautifully. And you have wonderful relationships with each other, I think. And I think that's just amazing. Exactly. And you know, I think it comes out of respect. I think, uh, and I always, I
0: think there's another thing that I talk about, whether love is more important or is it respect. You can have love for each other. And if you have no respect, then there's nothing that, it won't survive. But respect is, I think, uh, for each other is why we survived this for so long. And we will continue to survive, I think, this love story.
1: Respect, I think. Also love. I see love when I Hear your, or I hear love when I hear your stories, I think, between all of you. And I think that's the kind of glue that holds you all together and keeps you loving with each other, right? I agree.
0: You know, I always tell people that we've all won lotteries. My children have three parents. I mean, what a lottery it is, right? And two, three parents who love them unconditionally. I have two partners, basically one part, ex-partner and one current partner, and 14 years of with her. And I'm loved unconditionally by both. I mean, isn't that a lottery? Yes. That
1: is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, who would not ask for that? Exactly.
0: Right? So why would should it be about sexuality or being gay or about queerness? It should be about love. Absolutely agree. That's
1: just so beautiful. So what does life look like now?
0: Wow, very settled, very content, yeah. very magical. Okay? And that I've always had a magical life, Sangeeta, even when I had no food to eat, because that's how I think. But it feels magical because it has come to this place from a lot of work, lot of pain. It has come from to a place with a lot of nurturing. There were days when I really wanted to end it all for myself because it's just some days are very difficult. And that is what it is. So so I say things to people that don't work out for me, work for me anymore. I tell people nicely with respect. But I don't live a lie. There is not a single cell in me that lives a lie. And that makes me very, feel very magical.
1: So you've written a book about your experiences as well. Do you want to tell us a yes. little bit about? So I actually
0: uh, came up with this concept called story Stories, when stories yep. become poems. Okay. And so there are nine short stories and then there are poems. So each story basically varies, you know, segues into poetry and then po- that poetry becomes another story. And these are nine experiences of my life. And I felt that it was important to share that bit of me to say that how every one of us, it's not only, it's, it, it was written by me. So it's a lot of women and young girls have identified with it. But men have also identified that all of us have a journey and we become the person we become because of our experiences but my second book that I'm writing, Singhita, which is where I think will be a bigger story, is this book, this story is already, I, was, I wrote it during lockdown. It has already been optioned by Onir, the filmmaker, to, to make a feature film. So it's going to be most likely an Indo-New Zealand or an Indo-Australian film. So we don't know that. That's in the process. It may take about a year, two years for it to be out. But that right for a book has been retained by me. And I'm writing that book now. And that is... Basically based on, inspired by, let's say, true incidents in my story.
1: I wonder if we could chat about what it means to be queer within our culture. You know, where growing up um, in India when we did, and even now, even talking about sex or sexuality is a huge taboo in our culture, even today right? It's getting better. It's getting easier, but it isn't um, easy, let's say. So then what is it like to be queer and still belong to this culture? And I sense that you are very much rooted in the culture too, you know? know, So what does that feel like? Sure, sure, Sangeeta. See, when I first, I mean, I've journeyed uh, through
0: my queerness for 20 years. I came out twice, as I say, the first time when my mom outed me and then I went into hiding because of what happened to me. And then I came out at 50 when my family said, just shed all that and just break away from your shackles. So the first few years, I didn't really think so much about the queerness or what everybody else was going through because I was going through it myself. I was hiding. I was scared. I was, I was not sure. Everywhere I went, I would hear snide comments about people being gay. So then how would you out yourself when everybody else around you is poking fun or ridiculing the community? So I shut up. I was I never I didn't accept it or I didn't talk about it until last year. So now I felt when I came out, I decided that this was my responsibility to change it so that just in case people of like say my children's generation or they came out and said I was I was gay or I had uh, you know I want to explore. There are so many Uh, uh, spectrums to LGBTQ, uh, I, A, whatever that is, right? So whatever spectrum they identified with, that I should be able to at least make them feel comfortable, not just my children. So I became a voice for the community. So I basically gave myself permission to become a voice, which brings its own troubles, as you know, own dramas, own trolling, own good and bad. So today I'm a voice. I feel that in the community, slowly... Our own community, elders in the community, because that's the first step, right? People our age and people older to us, they have started accepting that this is okay. Because the biggest fear that a parent has, one is what will society say? And two is what will happen to you? These are two things. And in between lies the shame and the scandal and the fears, right? In between the two spectrum. And my story says that you live your life your way. It's normal, whatever that normal means. You can still be with the same gender person, still bring up a family beautifully. The fact the kids will still be dysfunctional or as functional as anybody else. They are, the kids are not any different to any other kids. If anything, love actually helps them become better people, right? Imagine being in a family where the husband and wife are bickering all the time and they're still together. Yeah. That is worse for the children. At least we don't have that. So that is one. Two is in the Indian community, I have a lot of respect shown to me. And maybe it is, like you said, it's a story of courage. I think it's also a story of uh, fighting against odds. Because it has not been, I think people who know this journey know it has not been easy. And it's also a story about, like I said, that we can create a new normal. That's a new modern family can be created. It doesn't have to be all drama and uh, killing each other, right? So the Indian community, I think, is slowly accepting people like us. So the moment I have become a voice, I think indirectly, directly, my story has been able to inspire many. So the narrative is changing one story at a time. And my story is one of them.
1: absolutely such a beautiful way to look at it. Um, And it kind of heartens me to hear that you've had support from the community, support from the elders, and that you feel... Heard and, and loved, I think. I think it's a wonderful thing. If uh, you were to say to somebody who is maybe young and within a traditional, say, South Asian family, whether that's in India or the UK, and wanted to explore their sexuality, what would you say to them? See, I, I still say that
0: first, make sure that you are safe. Most important. We should, we are not in a place, Gita, even now, when we can just come out, okay, unless there is safe a feeling of safety. So you start with your own parents. So you make sure that you have that safe environment. Then your own friends. Make sure that if you come out to them, you feel safe, that they will protect you, they will care for you. If you're coming out at work, make sure there are processes, structures, systems in place that you know if you come out, you will not go through so much of mental torture that you have to eventually either leave the job or leave this world. So I, But at the same time, I tell people, you live your truth. But live your truth. And sadly, we can't live our truth fully unless we are
1: safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hear you. So I guess it's a combination of safety and bravery. Yeah. Really. Yeah.
0: You know, right? whenever you, you do anything which is different to what people are used to, you know that there is going to be repercussions. Nobody's going to say, Sangeeta, how beautiful. Oh, you want to be a trans man. Ah, how sweet. That's not going to happen it's going to be a huge conflict, huge amount of uh, abuses. People are going to hurl, hurl their limitations on you.
1: Raga, if you were to go back over your own life, right? Is there anything you would do differently?
0: You know, I think about this more than I think about anything else, Sangeeta, and I think (laughs) all of us think, but I still think that I would live this life just exactly how I have lived only because I think that this is, you know, people are given certain things in life, situations in life so that they can come out to the other side and maybe be a voice. And I think I was dealt with these cards and I don't think I would have wanted
1: any other card. That's, that's so lovely to hear. That is lovely to hear. Funny enough, I would say the same thing if someone asked me the question. You know, it was really hard. um, There were incredible challenges, but I am, this has made me who I am. And I am, I love who I am. So I wouldn't change it. How wonderful.
0: And I see you as you are. And I absolutely love the person you are. And why would you want it any other way?
1: Did it feel any different being a couple with Nicola in India to to how it feels in the UK or in New Zealand? Oh, it's very different. Were you treated? Were you treated any differently? See, I I think it's
0: very different. Let's let's take uh, it a bit uh, away from the friends and ecosystem that we belong to, right? So the friends will treat you in the same manner wherever you are, whether you're in the UK, New Zealand, or India. But it is the surrounding that is different. in In India. Nicola and I, like I said to you, we didn't come out. We couldn't come out because everywhere we heard, it so was just common to hear people making snide comments about being gay, the community. So you just shut up. You don't want to be part of that. But once we came out and once we got to know, we, some people ghosted us, Gita. S- some people who we were in touch with just never responded to our messages. If our uh, uh, paths cross, there is a bit of discomfort even now. So it is, but in UK... We haven't felt that, or in New Zealand, I didn't feel that, but again, I'm sure that that exists here also. Even on High Street in London, when we walked past the other day, some random man who was eating who should have just been eating his McDonald's really uh, and focusing on that McDonald's crap that he was eating. I'm sorry, but he decided he was going to call us names. We were just passing by, saying, "You bloody lesbians," he said. we care, what do you say? That happens in London also. What yeah. can you say? Eat your, yeah. eat your crappy exactly. food, man, exactly. and go home. But no. <laughs> you
1: know, it's, it's, people can be vile exactly, anywhere in that's the world. It's, so people are people.
0: There is hate crime here as you as well, as you know. On buses, there have been yeah. instances on buses or on way, roads where uh, people have been attacked for being queer. That still happens. The trans community faces huge amount of discrimination, as we know. So that exists, whether it is New Zealand, whether it's the UK. But I think it will become less uh, difficult for the community if the government made it legal to pass laws against such attacks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the flip side of this is if you approach anything with hatred, that's what you get. But if you approach something with love, like you have with your family and the way you've kind of... um, Manage to get Ravi and Nicola and the kids together. That's what you get is beautiful, and that's love. Yeah, I but think. you know
0: exactly it's what you but put in it. it I don't right? think the world thinks like that. There are beautiful people like you and yeah. us, and who want the world to be of love. But there are people whose job is to make sure that love is not has been is a forgotten word. You know, so you can We can't change. We can only what we can do is like I tell my children also. We can only be the best. Version of ourselves, and let's hope that that best version is of love.
1: So, where can people follow you, Raga? Where should we See, find you?
0: My name says it all. I'm totally out now. So, so Insta, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter—I'm totally out now.
1: Well, you're totally wonderful now Thank and you.
0: forever. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that before. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much, Raga De Silva, for being on Masala Podcast and for being as open and warm and wonderful as you have been. It's been an honor and a pleasure and an absolute joy to chat Thank with you. Thank you, today. Sangeeta. And
0: I hope we have been bad babies enough. You know, I, 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 I yes, my whole always. aim is to shake up the Indian community, bite them, pinch them, put the pins through them and say, wake the fuck up.
1: <laughs> I like yeah. that. Wake the fuck up. I think that's a great place to end. Thank you so much. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in this episode, please head to the show notes where I've listed some information about organizations which can offer help and support. I'm Sangeeta Belai. Thank you for listening to The Masala Podcast, a Spotify original Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories, a place to reclaim our bodies, to tackle taboos within our culture, to be exactly who we want to be. Get in touch and tell me your stories about your taboos. Check out my website, soulsutras.co.uk. Or get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Soul Sutras. Masala Podcast was created and produced by me, Sangeeta Pillai. Edited by Orbis the Studio. Opening music by Sunny Robertson. Besharam, sharam, but the Gandhi, hi hi, bad
0: kitty.